Hello, this is Lawrence Lewis. And this is Sister Christian. Today is Wednesday, May 6th. This is the Producers Happy Hour, a daily podcast with two producers on opposite coasts, reaching out to our filmmaking and live event community to hear your stories about how the pandemic has affected you, your life, and your work. Your stories let us know that we're not alone. It's important for us to keep sharing our experiences and ideas. They help us. We know that they're helping you guys, too. So email us, or better yet, record a one- to two-minute voice memo. You can do it on your smartphone and send it to us at ProducersHappyHour at gmail.com. Just follow the instructions on our website, ProducersHappyHour.com. And please share this show with friends, colleagues, your upstairs neighbor your landlord, your family. We want these stories to be heard. They're human. So we're all human. We can all relate. And we all need a little bit of humanity right now. (laughs) Just a touch. (laughs) Yeah. So Christian, I'm excited because today is our first crew safety roundtable. Yes, the first of many, hopefully. Mm -hmm. For this one, we have three New York-based pros. Yes, Chris Wiesenhan, who has been on our show previously, he is a key grip. And David McCabe, he's a gaffer, does a lot of non-union music videos and commercials. And Rob Bloomkey, who is a production sound mixer, and you've heard us talk a lot about Rob because he is also editing and co-producing this show with us since the lockdown. Yeah, so um, we're turning the tables on Rob today (laughs) and making him a crew member, so (laughs) it should be fun. So, Christian, we should just get to the crew roundtable because I think they're really important. We need to hear what the crew is thinking. Yeah, and And I'm sure they have a lot to say. (laughs) They have a lot to say. (laughs) And we have a lot of questions. (laughs) But just a quick note, I think everybody's in the same brain space because today I was listening again to Up First on NPR. Yes. And they're talking about how employers are seeking some sort of liability protection in case somebody gets sick on the job. Mm -hmm. Some people are supporting that idea. Some people don't like that idea. Some people are saying if employers have protection from safety, then that's going to make employees feel uncertain about returning to work. I completely agree. The uncertainty is palpable. It's thick in the air right now. Everybody that I talk to, whether they're, you know, in a red state or a blue state or whatever their political views are, Mm -hmm. of everyone that I've spoken to, family and friends, nobody is going to go out to these businesses that are open. Yeah. Just because we don't have safety. And I know there's a lot of talk about OSHA coming in and doing that too, and maybe a state-run entity to make sure safe is safe. But in the end, people aren't ready yet because there's not a solid plan. Exactly. So uh, interesting. the thinking that's on everybody's mind right now. How do we return to work safely? All right, so let's get on with the roundtable. But first, go to our website, producershappyhour.com. On there is a page called Take Action. We have a lot of resources there for you that talk about uh, petitions you can sign, places to volunteer, things you can donate, how to help other people if you're in the position to help, and also some information there on the federal aid that you might be able to apply for. So check it out. Really important stuff on there. And if you have ideas of things we can add to it, let us know. Here, here. Get over there. Do your part, folks. Yes. Dave McCabe is a freelance non-union gaffer currently based in New York City working on commercials, music videos, and short-form projects. He did spend six years prior to that in L.A. gaffing as well, where he was also a union member. So he knows both sides, union and non-union. Chris Wiesenhan is a New York-based freelance key grip with 10 years plus experience. He has worked on numerous commercials and music videos as well as movies and TV shows. He is a master of the dolly and can rig damn near anything. 
And our third roundtable member is Rob Bloomkey. He's a location sound mixer based in New York City. Working mainly in the documentary, commercial, and branded content worlds, Rob has recently worked on projects like the Depeche Mode film, Spirits in the Forest, and the biopic mm. Ask Dr. Ruth, as well as commercials for the NBA, Mini Cooper, Verizon, and many more. All the contact information for each of these guys is going to be in our show notes. So if you guys have a job, they're trusted individuals, reach out to them. And they're available. <laughs> and they're available. But hesitant. Yes, safety first. <laughs> Let's take a listen. All right, so first, thank you all for joining us. The way we're going to start is we're going to go around the table, just get everyone's name and title. We're going to start with Dave. Hey, I'm Dave McCabe. I'm a New York City-based commercial gaffer. Hey, I'm Chris Wiesahan. I'm a New York City key grip. Hi, I'm Rob Blumke. I'm a New York City-based sound mixer, and I guess I also dabble in podcast editing. So I know all of you guys are New York-based. Thank you very much for joining us today. I think that we'd like to start with, and we'll probably go in the same order just to keep things fluid. Dave, if you got a call for a job today, would you take it? No. Like no, no changes, no, 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 nothing to ensure your safety. If you got a call for a job today, would you take it? Absolutely not. No, there's no rate, no nothing that could budge me to do anything. And I think like, you know, the people that I like working with, the cinematographers that hire me and the producers that I trust, they wouldn't be calling me at a moment like this. Yeah. Um, Chris? Yeah, same, the same definitely goes for me. I'm not interested in any amount of money or anything that can you know, potentially slow the process of this or put people that I care about at risk. And it wouldn't be more than one or two jobs. It's not like the one job that I went on would fast track everything back. If anything, it would slow the process. So try not to be selfish about it and just stay home, mm -hmm. take my time. And yeah. Rob? Yeah, I mean, I guess multiple reasons why I wouldn't take one. Obviously, I don't think it's safe yet. I agree with you guys and your stance that there really isn't a safe way to produce a job yet. Also, I just got on unemployment, and the last thing I want to do now that I'm finally in the system is take a job that might screw that up. Yep. So I'm going to just hold <laughs> on to that for dear life. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I know. We've all I been trying. I finally so. got it this week. Like, mm -hmm. it just came through. Yeah. And when did you apply? Just for... Just for uh... Just for I applied twice. I applied for standard unemployment and yeah. obviously couldn't get through because the phone lines mm -hmm. were murder. And then once the pandemic unemployment act mm -hmm. got pushed through and they had just that streamlined website, I applied the right, first yeah. day it was open. And I think that's when I finally got pushed through. And then right. did you get back pay or does it just begin? Not yet. I just got paid for the first week that I claimed. So I am going to I'm investigating right now. How, mm -hmm. if I have to go and do anything to get the back pay or if they automatically just retroactively pay me. Right. Okay. So. Cool. So moving on and we'll go in the same order. Looking forward to when you do start feeling like it is safe to go to a film set and go back to work. What kind of crew size? And I know there's a lot of factors at play here in terms of, you know, where we are with the virus, but what kind of crew size would you feel comfortable working with? Five to 10? 10 to 20, 30, or beyond? And, you know, maybe it's just a few months down the road when things start to kind of come back online. Yeah, I think when things come back, it's definitely going to take a while to figure that out. It's really going to be dependent on location size, what the job's really asking for. It's going to be how rental houses are preparing gear 
it's gonna have so many factors just what's gonna i don't even i don't know <laughs> on what could actually go wrong we don't even know yet like there's some places like yeah. in europe that have uh, started production again and you know we're gonna find yeah. a lot of things out from that and they're implementing mm -hmm. things where they're having one department at the time goes and does something and then they clear and then another department comes in we really have to work together and come up with just a game plan to see how the day-to-day -day activities are going to be assessed um, mm -hmm. so crew size uh, it's i mean as small as possible <laughs> for every job but it depends on just the conditions and making sure everyone's on the same page moving forward um, at whatever crew size we are going into whatever job that everybody's going to be protected I just think that the bigger jobs are going to take a lot longer to yes. get back in place, obviously. You know, mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot of yeah, smaller yeah. tabletop kind of run and gun interview stuff. But anything large scale where you know, you're locking down streets or you're doing, you know, multiple things with hundreds of people, that's yeah. like, without a question, very far down the line in yeah, a responsible yeah. way. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. We don't really still have enough information. And as different markets start to open their doors and test it out, for us, you know, if they're willing to do that, then kind of got to see where they land with it and see how things progress for them. Keep our crew sizes small, maybe get into a world where we extend the job a little bit so that we don't have to have the necessity for more people on set on the day that we shoot. So maybe that means even a small job gets a pre-light day, come in, mm -hmm. make sure everything's ready to shoot. We leave that pre-light day will obviously be just necessary people, nobody extra. Uh, anybody that doesn't need to be there but wants their presence can be on FaceTime or Zoom or whatever. And then uh, next day you come in and you shoot. It should definitely be something where you set up, you decontaminate, come back, shoot, break it down. Stop. Right. I also think that we would need to ensure that the same people are on the jobs. I know there's a lot of job yeah. hopping especially Chris and Dave's, your departments. So I would think that we would have to guarantee that the same people would be on the job the entire time. Sure, sure. And then yeah. a point, Rob, sure. before you answer, you do a lot of jobs where it's you, a DP cameraman, and one more person, and your interview ENG style. But mm -hmm. you have to touch people. You're right. I don't. I honestly don't think I'm going to be lobbing anybody up for quite a while. I don't mm. think anybody's going to be comfortable having a wireless microphone put on them. Just before this happened, I picked up a UV pacifier disinfector that a lav mic actually fits in perfectly because what? I had a couple jobs right before this hit. So yeah. I was kind of just trying to get ahead of it. But I think mm. after this, like no one for a while is going to want to have a personal mic put on them or, right. I mean, maybe at least for the stuff that I do for like ENG for interview based right. stuff, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Maybe in like your reality based stuff is still going to have it and like right. your actual narrative based stuff. But I feel like then you're going to maybe have to look on the production side of things as treating the actual lav microphone as an expendable. Like you're just going to have to buy a mic mm -hmm. for somebody. Oh. And it's going to be their mic for the duration of the shoot. And then mm. production gets it at the end because right. you're not going to want to keep recycling. Because I have yeah. I have like 10 different lav mics that I use, but they go on everybody. Like, and I clean them, so but I know, <laughs> but so it's gross. still but thinking about it now and post COVID, know, like, yeah. Yeah. like in COVID, yeah, everyone gives you the shivers. Right now. Now. It's like, what were we doing? <laughs> right. And I mean, I was pretty on top of it. Like I would clean them with like, like alcohol and you're all of that. You disinfect it, but. Mm -hmm. people see you pull that out and you're like, you're not putting that on me. What are you doing? 
Like, get that yeah, thing away from me. The yeah, Howie Mandel. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the way that I work is going to change, which is then in turn going to change the way everyone else works. We're either going to be, depending on framing, we're either going to be painting out booms or just framing in a way that I can get a boom mic in because that's only going to be our only mm. source of audio probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, painting out a boom mic is actually it's, it's, super it's easy. It's funny. Now. I've actually had this conversation with a friend of mine who is a sound mixer here in LA, mm-hmm. uh, Janet Urban. We're going to have her on one of these roundtables as well. And she did bring that same point up that you might have to paint out booms in a shot. Mm-hmm. And so I said, that's a very valid thing to, to suggest. Now we got to reverse engineer that because mm-hmm. the VFX budgets are set way before the job even comes to us producers. Right. So that's all taken care of by the ad agency. They, they bid it out and they decide what kind of cleanup they're going to need, what kind of you know, online they're going to need and all that. And if, if they don't think about painting out boom poles at that stage, which is six months before it gets into my hands, it's hard for somebody like me or Christian to tell the agency, oh, by the way, you need to add another you know, 7,500 bucks or five grand into your post budget to clean out boom poles because we're going we're gonna to have them. I would so, happily tell somebody that. We'd happily tell them that, but it's a hard fight to fight yeah, that late in the game when the numbers have been set up in the front end. So, mm-hmm. but it keeps coming up. So that might need to be something that's discussed by the production company with the with the exactly. ad agencies early, early on. Exactly. But uh, good point. So here's one for you guys. Would you submit to COVID testing at the beginning of each day, Dave? Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's something like external temperature readings or something like that, like I, mm-hmm. I think there's several tests out now that are, yeah. you know, with how accurate they are. You know, I'm sure they're going to evolve into being very accurate. That you do a pin prick stick, and then in 15 minutes you would know. So you'd need to report to a set early. Whether you get paid for that time or not, I'm sure is. I would obviously pay you guys to come in to get tested, but I don't know what normal production procedures are besides (laughs) what I do. You would come in, you would get your pinprick, you would wait for your tests and you would, you know, positive or negative. Everybody would do it. I think it's almost at the point where that would be essential. The thing is, it's Mm. invasive and a lot of people are going to kind of fight that. That's the question. Whereas something uh, like like one of the temperature machines that they have that they can just, you know, put your forehead and kind of tell. It's like everyone would probably be fine with something like that. But as soon as you get into invasive testing, yeah, then, you know, people become squeamish on that. Honestly, yeah, I personally don't think I have an issue mm-hmm. with it, you know, but I'm going to say that people definitely will. And it's going to be a weird road to navigate, you know, because you have to guarantee the safety of everybody on set. Exactly. There's yeah. a privacy issue, but we all, as much as we'd love to work on the handshake deals or trust each other, even if I, if I trust all three of you, all four of you, I trust all four of you. (laughs) However, you know, having a misstep where somebody touches a a bodega door on their way in, it's not because they don't trust you. It's just that you happen to do it and we're absent-minded about it. And then we all have it. So, yeah, it would be a privacy thing. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Personally, I I would subject myself to that because... It's, and you would want everybody else, the whole crew well, to be, right? I want everybody to, mm-hmm. but I think it's something that has to be discussed coming into the job. So there's going to be another step right. of pre-production. We're going to have to have contracts signed that both say that you're willing to submit, but also there's got to be the contract that protects the employee that says, and the crew member that says, look, this information doesn't go any further than the testing. 
Right. We can't have DNA running around. It's become a new fingerprint. Yeah. The less invasive it is, is obviously going to be more people willing to sign up. But the way I see it is everybody is very anxious to get back to work. As long as the proper guidelines are followed, this is going to be a reality for a little while. Right. Mm -hmm. Or we're just going to keep recycling everything. And that's not good. So, you know, people that don't want to do it, they get weeded out. And Rob? (laughs) Chris did bring up a really good point about how far down the line the the test would go. Like, I I don't want any more of my info than I possibly need to have out into the world. So there has to be some sort of confidentiality Mm -hmm. and some sort of, I guess, NDA. Right. A reverse NDA, I guess, in our case, saying that, yeah, the production company is going to use it for this specific purpose. That's it. I mean, then- I, w- I would want to have an independent medical staff do it and only supply that, mm-hmm. you know, Rob was unable to make it to the shoot today versus, God forbid, you know, the next production manager hears from the previous production manager that so-and-so tested positive. Right. Like, I, I, yeah. I see that angle, too. So, no, it'd be secret. And maybe it's a, a medical tent outside location because Lawrence, we've also discussed having backups on standby for half rate. Yeah. And if you're sent home, you still have to work with us via iPad, you know, like zooming in to your best boy or something. You know what I mean? Like, although Rob, it would be hard. It'd be different on (laughs) on my end, I think. And Lawrence, I do have a quick question. Rob, do you see boom operators coming back? Um, I mean, I don't, I mean, I know it's one more person on set, but you, if you can't love people, a lot I guess it of depends work, on how many yeah, talent, right? A lot okay. of the work that I do tends to be one to two people. I live in the non-union, I guess, quote unquote, content world where we're doing a lot of doc mm-hmm. style stuff. One, two, sometimes three people on camera. But mm-hmm. I, it'd be great if I had a boom operator. I would love to always have a boom operator, but I don't really see it happening unless right. you have a higher cast count. Then I could maybe see a boom operator coming or even maybe a second mixer coming in. Right. Mm-hmm. That yeah. would be interesting. Second mixer. I think a second mixer would probably right. make more sense because mm-hmm. it gives you a little more flexibility too, as far as how you can shoot. Right. Well, let's talk about gear, starting with Dave. And I don't know how much this applies to you. We talked a little bit about it, Rob, with the labs. In terms of gear from rental houses, would you trust the rental houses to sanitize the gear before it comes to you? Or would that be something, a part of the process you would want to oversee or have a third party company come in? and sanitize stuff? Or are you not terribly worried about the gear itself? Well, I think gear definitely brings up a major concern as far as being able to transmit and quickly. Uh, gear gets yeah. turned around super quick. You know, Most of yeah. the time, it's going back to the rental house. It's getting scanned in, and it's not going back on a shelf. It's hopping on another mm-hmm. head cart uh, with a bunch of other lights from other jobs. So I think yep. rental houses really have to come up with a solid system. And I've heard of a couple of things that people are thinking about doing as far as basically like fumigating the trucks essentially Mm. with certain things which i think is just a great idea i just don't know like the entire process behind it i think that is definitely something every rental house should be looking into they should be disinfecting all gear before it goes out on the truck but i would still feel most comfortable having almost a secondary cleaning sometimes on set yeah it's like do you just trust them to do it and you trust that it shows up clean or do you want some part of that process yeah as we grab lamps off of a cart they get wiped down. When they mm. first show up, it's like everything just gets recleaned. It just becomes a part of the process. It's going to take longer, mm. but yeah. I think it's a necessary mm-hmm. step. You know, Maybe they missed a stinger or something, something yeah. small, and then another department grabs a stinger for some reason, then that gets passed on to that person. You know, We don't want 
little thing is happening. And I think just over cleaning of gears totally worth the action time for everybody's safety. Chris? Yeah, I agree. I think that it's the place where things are going to break down the easiest. Yeah. We're going to be in a position where we are definitely dependent on how seriously the rental houses and their employees are taking their jobs. And for them, I think that they may come out of the gate really hot and fast, but they're not going to be able to maintain it. It's just, you know, it's mm-hmm. just the nature of it. They're going to mm-hmm. be overwhelmed really fast. And I, I agree. I think that this is another good example of something that can be placed into a pre-light day. Small job, clean everything in the beginning of the day. Everybody's got their gloves on, gives everything a good wipe down. You get to work. It not only creates a much safer environment for us, but it also enables us to kind of do what has become lost, which is checkouts in our world. So we can be counting equipment. This doesn't have to be just one thing. It can be several positive things happening at once where we know what's missing. We're not in the middle of our shoot day going, can I get this piece of equipment and finding out that it's not there. So at that point, if something has been overlooked, it's on us. It's no longer somebody else's bad and we have to claim the responsibility for it. So this is another example of something that can be put into an extra day on a shoot to make things run a lot smoother Everybody feels a Mm -hmm. lot more at ease. That rush that tends to create an unsafe environment, regardless of health concerns, just on a normal day, kind of gets minimized. So, Rob, before you answer, your aspect of this is you bring your own equipment. You are the rental house, right? So you may have to sign something as the, you know, a company. Mm -hmm. Um, You're a crew member. So whatever. You're the company, too. And you may have to sign something that says that all the equipment that you bring has been properly sanitized, sterilized, whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you can do? I mean, that's additional work, in my opinion. Also, too, something to build into your rental prices. Uh-huh. Yeah, but, I mean, something to build into my rental prices. But I mean, it's also for me, I don't think it's as big of a deal as it would be for our grips or our electrics. I mean, the amount of gear that I have, it's not nearly as much. And I tend to, before each shoot anyway, I get my kit out. I kind of go through what I need, what I don't need, kind of tailor each kit to each job. So while I'm doing that tailoring for me, it's not that tough for me to add an additional step of wiping everything down, making sure everything's clean, sanitized, and ready to go. So uh, I want to talk about releases and waivers, okay? So would you be willing to sign something stating that you haven't had any symptoms? The symptom list is long. Headaches is on it, right? Or how about a waiver that says you won't sue the company if you contract? I do think that at this point, IATSE is recommending to their members to not sign anything. However, that doesn't mean that every job is union, obviously. So would you consider if a company offered you that? Uh, Personally, no. I I, I don't think that's, that's something I'm willing to sign away. It's a bit much, uh, especially with the symptom list. Like you said, like a headache is on there. Like it's it's yeah. so narrow. It's it's gone down from like the most extreme of things to just the narrowest of things. It's like, oh man, like my my head hurts, my eyes are sore, I got a little bit of a cough, a scratchy throat. Like uh, like you can't allergies. Just, yeah, you can't lump all that into it. And I think that's a mistake uh, to try and do something like that. And as far right. as waiving any responsibility of the production company that's just a whole nother can of worms because one what proof are they showing you at the time that you're signing that you're being asked to sign something like that that they're going to follow all the guidelines on their end to maintain Mm -hmm. 
safety of the crew. Mm. You know, you know, you show up to a job and you've signed that paper saying, no, I'm not going to sue you if anything happens. And you get there and they're not following any protocols that, that start getting laid out. And it's like, everybody's going to get sick. At that point, yeah. everybody just turns around and goes home. You can't expect people to work under conditions like that. So yeah, no, I wouldn't feel comfortable signing any documents waiting. I read. Okay. Chris. Same here. I would not sign anything like that because all you're doing is inviting everybody to lie about it. Nobody's going to be truthful. You're going to sign that thing and it's going to become a situation where we obviously know that it's going to be incredibly difficult to track it down to one person if the crew does get sick. And it just creates another sense of unease between the crew and production. It's right. feels like they're mm-hmm. trying to add a step in order to skip an essential uh, step. Other right. steps. Yeah. It makes yeah. you exactly. it makes you leery yeah. of their Which, intent. Their intention. Basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're like, well, you told us, so we didn't bring I know. gloves here's, and this. You said you were fine. Yeah, so I remember when NDAs first came out and everyone had to sign them, they were always there, and now it's just like, yeah, Yeah. people know not to do it. (laughs) And Rob, how do you would you sign something? I don't think I would, but I also think that the only producers right now that I would take a job from, I don't think they would even ask me to sign one, and I would feel comfortable coming onto their job because I feel like they Mm -hmm. would have everything possible in place to where I wouldn't even really need to worry about that. But also, I think Chris and Dave both hit on this. If somebody does come to set that happens to be sick, what recourse do you have anyway? Even if you signed this Mm -hmm. thing and everybody signed this thing stating that, oh, I don't have it. Scout's honor. We, yeah, we don't know. None of us know unless we're doing like you were suggesting earlier, like the onset blood testing, but that isn't here yet. I mean, we can't even, I mean, as a general population, get a test, let alone like people reporting to a job. Well, I do think that I, I bet you a gazillion dollars, not that we do, you know, like all of us get our main money from movies, but I bet you the big studios will absolutely implement something like this because temperature taking doesn't matter because once you yeah, once I, you show a temperature, fuck. Yeah. Are there any specific concerns to your individual departments? that is on your mind right now that maybe we're not thinking of uh, starting with Dave. Yeah. I mean, I think um, every department's going to have its own specifics when it comes to it, but I think overall as a crew, it's like, we're just going to need more time. Time. Like it's, it's really going to come down to that with lighting. It's gear. It's cleaning. It's making sure everything is safe. I mean, that's, you know, our number one priority regardless of pandemic or not is safety and safety for everybody on the crew. So just moving forward, I think like the one thing we just really have to step back and look at is time and not even just for like my department because everyone's going to need it. And we're going to need to figure out a way that's cohesive for everybody to do the job. It's hard to wrap my head around specifics for my department. And there's a couple of things that I'm thinking about. I don't know. I just need to kind of vibe out on what's actually going to happen as far as like the scope of mm-hmm. just everything as like a full unit of people. It's like, where are we going with yeah. our ideas? It's like, how can we implement these together? And then we can really start working together on specifics on what department need. But right now we just got to think about how do we get to work, make sure everybody's healthy and safe, especially in a city like New York. Like most of us are taking yeah. the subway mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. that's going to be a whole nother thing. Chris, what about you? Agree with everything that Dave is concerned about. I have a few things that have definitely been weighing on my mind. One of them is as simple as uh, communication, walkie talkies. What do we do? 
you know, mm-hmm. we're in a situation where it's very similar to Rob with the uh, sound equipment. Yeah. We often are wearing surveillances and those are going up people's shirts, and, you know, in their ears. A lot of people own their own, but you know, we don't always have them. Not everybody has them. So what happens with that time for sure? Like Dave mm-hmm. did a really good job of touching on, but, uh, also concerned about jobs being lost. I mean, I think there's some people that are going to become non-essential when we're getting back into work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah. hope that I'm wrong, but I do think that we'll see far less people on set. And I think that people that were kind of taking their steps to moving up are going to have a little bit of a tough time making that jump like a a second AC to a first AC. I don't know that there's going to be a lot of second ACs on set. And I don't want to say that, that I don't think it's essential. Of course I do. But when you have to put it under a microscope and dissect it and you have to say, can somebody else provide these services, Mm -hmm. even if it's asking a little more of them, but it's at the sake of safety, then I would say that they are going to be under scrutiny. Mm-hmm. for a little bit under yeah. the chopping block. Yeah, across the board, any five-department team is going to become a four- or three-department team. Any three-department sure. team yep. is going to be a two or one. And that's going to happen across the board. And sadly, it's going to affect the people that have just kind of entered the industry, the people right. that don't have mm-hmm. as many contacts or relationships as you know experience. people experience mm-hmm. like you guys have. So if you're not well-established right now, it's going to be a little bit of a tougher time, I think, to get the jobs because everyone's going to be available. First call, people are going to get the jobs and it's going to be a harder time for the people just entering the industry, I think. Rob, what about you? Obviously, we talked about labs and booms uh, and that's kind of specific to your department. Mm-hmm. Comtex is another issue. Um, oh, God. Oh, God. Honestly, I just... From hearing you guys talk, I mean, I have the ability to hear all of the discussions you guys have with the various people that you work with. I'm probably going to lose rental income just because Comtex are probably going to be a th- either a thing of the past right. because we're going to be streaming Video Village remotely or mm. we're going to be down to like two or three essential creatives versus the 20 person agency creative yeah. client crews that we were used to seeing, which I'm not going to miss the Comtech Easter egg hunt. At the end of every day, like I'm, you know, <laughs> finding a Comtech in a bathtub of a like location is not going to, I'm not going to miss that. <laughs> but the other thing that I'm kind of thinking of is the way that we shoot. We're going to mm. probably have to go back to actually treating it like we're shooting on film. Like we're going to have yeah. to actually think about our shot. Please. Yeah. I, free, I see. Yeah. Free takes. Let's yeah. move on. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And I, mean, I actually did a fair amount of 16 millimeter jobs last year and it was great. What? You know. That's we so figured, hipster. It's that, like, that's, oh, like, that's like the mountain top of hipsterville. But go on, please. But I love it because it's like, you know, we sit there, we figure out what we're going to do. We block it. Right. We have a blocking, which is, a, mm-hmm. I mean, who, do, yeah. who blocks anything who blocks anymore? anymore? Yeah. And, and everyone's paying attention. The agency's right. paying attention and totally. can watch it and approve it and move on. Yeah. And thankfully also, I mean, the directors that I worked with that were shooting on 16, I've worked with when they shoot digital and they're the same way. They're like within three to four takes, like I got what I need. Mm-hmm. Agency, you happy? Client happy? Great. We're moving on. I feel like that there's going to have to be a greater amount of communication across the board with everybody, at least in the commercial space where mm-hmm. everybody is on board with the shot before we shoot it. Not the 
get a couple takes in and then be like, you know what would it. be better if we mm-hmm. did you know, this instead oh, and completely 180 the shot you know, like as you're in process? May I just say that every single production that we start out on as producers, we absolutely <laughs> try. For that yeah, of course. Before this, yeah. just so you know. But going back to that kind of discipline would be, you know, fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's required. I think it's necessary. It is. It especially is. with remote agency and client approvals. Like having all of them on a group chat. I'm already getting like over it. But having having 11 people on a Zoom looking at the feed (laughs) and saying, "Mm, can I do this? And then wrangling all that and then explaining to the camera person who happens to be in Poland, because that's where we're filming right now, you know, Mm -hmm. that's going to be quite a undertaking. I think that only three takes will be the standard. Otherwise, you're going to waste time on one shot for six hours. Right. So I'm hoping that's where where we end up. If Mm -hmm. it does, remains Mm -hmm. to be seen. But I'm 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 cautiously optimistic. I guess at this point. Well, it's not been done yet, so this is the time to uh, try to come up with a good solution to implement. So rates. Let's talk about (laughs) rates. Lawrence and I received a couple of surveys, you know, and the questions were very interesting. One of them was, are you planning on raising your rate, lowering your rate, or keeping it the same once we start back to work? It was like, I don't even know where that question came from. But I think that the intent is maybe it is less experienced crew would feel like I got to put myself on sale now so I can get jobs, right? I got to reduce my rate so I can get some of the work that I don't have. Exactly. Fair enough question, but. Fair enough question, but I also think that part of it is agency or client thinking that, oh, God, um, we haven't had any income in a while, so we only have set amount of dollars to spend on something. People haven't been working, so they might be thankful to receive any money, which I know is a very cynical view. And I know that we're the producers in this sense, but I think it goes both ways. And I'd like to know, Dave, what your sense is. Do you think that we should have hazard pay walking back into this? Or would you be willing to, because you haven't worked, reduce your rate? Hazard pay is definitely something that's on my mind, for sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And as far Mm -hmm. as lowering a rate, uh, no, I don't think. (laughs) I don't don't think there's a chance in hell for that happening. Well, we all needed to be paid more anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't lower my rate because I'm being asked to do the same job as I was before the pandemic, and now we're in hazardous conditions, and I think the compensation should go up, if anything, and not expect it to be mm-hmm. going down. It's going to be such a change, I think, as far as our industry goes, where things are just going to get insanely more expensive. Everything is just increase in dollar, increase in time. I don't think you should be people to work for lower rates and then prey on the fact that they haven't worked and that, you know, that they're hungry for something or they need money. It's like, yeah, it's, none of us are working. Uh, we have to kind of just be in that together. And We're all worried that there's going to be those groups of people that have the jobs yeah. that are going to see an opportunity to backtrack on things like rates. It's going to happen definitely they're going to see a bunch of people desperate for mm-hmm. time on set desperate for money absolutely they're going to take advantage of it for sure yeah when everything really shut down there were still jobs going on for you know like a few weeks um you'd hear mm-hmm. rumors of people shooting and stuff and it's just like i get it i completely 
you know, feel for everybody, you know, we're all out of work, no, no income. Some people are in, yeah. in bad positions with, uh, you know, they're supporting families, and mm-hmm. relying on unemployment and you can't get through on the phone lines. And, you know, there's a lot of obstacles in everybody's way right now. And teasing them with a couple hundred bucks or something like that, as opposed to their normal rate, like it's, it's not fair to them and their families and everybody that they interact with, putting them at risk and making them feel like they have to work just so they can support their families. I just want to add, they're probably paying you in cash too, because they're not allowed to be hiring under certain laws right now. So they can't get permitted. They can't do things like that in order to give up their position in shooting. And Mm. so they say, okay, we'll pay your regular rate in cash Mm. for somebody that's in a desperate situation. That's going to sound pretty good. It just feels very wrong to exploit people's emotions like that. But particularly in this time, they just, you know, I don't think that people directly mean to, they're just trying to get a job done, but that's irrelevant. They still are exploiting people's problems and their emotions to get what they want. They're just kind of being naive to the fact that it's hurting people. Right. It's an, it's an ethical issue. I think. Mm -hmm. Lawrence and I have talked about this quite a bit. You know, you guys trust me. So if I were to call you and ask you to do a job, you would probably agree to it because you know that I'm an ethical person who have gone through the safety. Now, that's not why I'd want you to take it. But in the end, like ethically, is it right for me to offer you all a job because I know that you need the money? So would you agree to do something that was unsafe because you need the money? Like, that's my ethical struggle right now is taking a job under those conditions because I know people will do it because I'm asking them to. Mm-hmm. But if you feel unsafe, I'd prefer you didn't. And Rob, what do you think? Rate-wise. Even, even before the pandemic hit, like, the sound mixing community in particular has had a lowballing issue. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been pretty bad, especially in the last, like, year to two years. The barrier to entry into sound mixing has come down quite a bit. A professional-level setup mm-hmm. has become a lot more affordable, probably in the last, like, three or four years, mm-hmm. last two years especially. I would routinely receive people hitting me up about jobs, and the offer would be about half of what my rate would be, and that was including gear. And you're, I'm just like, right. no, 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 no. A, like, I'm not going out of the house for that, but B, I'm basically screwing every other mixer down the line right. Yeah. after right. I accept, if I accept that rate. And yeah, you're right. Now coming out of this, people are going to be more tempted than ever to be like, oh, I got to pay bills. I got to feed my kids. I got to pay off this gear that I have a loan on. Right. I won't do it personally, but I do mm-hmm. think there are going to be a lot of people that as soon as the jobs start kind of creeping out of the woodwork, people are going to be jumping on them regardless of what rate is offered to them because, yeah, they just need the money and they They're need desperate. Work. Mm-hmm. I like that the fact that you brought up community because unless we all band together, you know. The sound mixing community is, even on the non-union side, hat is really good at communicating. We're good at being like, hey, if you are a professional level sound mixer, like this is what you should be asking for day rate wise, this is what you should be getting for your equipment. And depending on how much kit you're providing, like there should be a standard regardless if you're in the union or not, because we're all doing the same job. We need to let these production companies know that if you want a professional level mixer, you want me to come in, provide quality sound where you're not going to have to worry about doing a whole bunch of work on the back end to make it usable, then you got to pay for it up front. 
that's, sounds like that's we need point. to be blacklisting them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, is there one thing that we haven't discussed that you feel like you need to see on set or part of the process in order for you to return safely? But if there's one thing that we haven't touched on yet, what would that be for you, David? Um, I mean, I think for like the broader factor, we've kind of touched on the majority of the issues. I, I just think it's really come back to looking out for each other and with like the utmost respect for everybody. People can't take this lightly. And I know as soon as we get back into it, definitely there'll be companies and mm-hmm. people and crews after a couple of jobs or after two or three days on a longer job, start getting a little lax on some of the upkeep. It's like, we can't do that. You know, it's like you have to think yeah. about everybody on your crew and all of their families and that they're going to run into on the way to and from work. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's just not a time to rush back to that without the full grasp. And that's still something, you know, we're working on together as as a planet. Chris, what about you? Just circling back to something that feels just as important in when we were talking about the rates. Obviously, there's always going to be somebody, especially after the run that we just came off of before this. There's so many people doing jobs that whether they're qualified for them or not, they are taking those key positions. They are taking jobs that, you know, they they got fast-tracked. And I think those people that just came into those positions are going to be very open to taking the jobs that we turned mm-hmm. down. And I was just curious how the group feels about how to combat that. I mean, obviously, there's going to be production companies that aren't professional that are going to say, mm-hmm. well, fine, you won't take this job, but I got a kid that, you know, he yeah. works really hard. Right. I'll, he'll do it. He used to be my sound guy, and then he was my PA, then he was my first AC, then he was this, and now he'll take the job being the key grip or the gaffer or both or I think the only I'm the sorry only to way, backtrack. It's no, like, it's okay. It's, it's an important point because, you know, the degradation of rates has been a problem in our industry for a while. Mm-hmm. And the only way that I know of to combat that is just to educate the people that are coming up after us and making sure that they know what their worth is and that make sure they see the through line from their $650 a day equaling a company making, you know, $3 million a quarter or $20 million a quarter. And they have to be able to see that. And this is specifically speaking to advertising. I mean, it also, it does work in feature films as well because Somebody sitting on the top at the end of the project, getting the most benefit from the labor that the crew has put into it. So I think we can't change those companies. Those are the companies that are always going to want a deal or want to get by with paying less. There's always going to be people that buy tickets on Gold Star rather than paying full price. It's just no shade there, but it's just there's always going to be discount seekers and people that want to not pay people's worth. We can't change those people. We can just avoid them and right. help to educate the people that are coming up underneath us that think mm-hmm. that's the way to get to success right. and making sure they know their worth. I think that's all we can do. Christian, do you have any? It's absolutely a thing that we all battle as freelance personnel. Mm-hmm. We turn down the jobs that we're not willing to do, but understanding that there will always be somebody who's willing to do them. So how we stop that is... I mean, we've never been able to before, so I don't know how it would be moving forward. I just know that if crews get smaller, you're going to want to have the best that you can on the crew. And so I would like to think that we'll all be hired on our merits. But in the end, 80% of the time, 20% of the time is it's because of what you're willing to do. 
oh, I'm a pain in the ass. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Hey, it, is, it was like that before. Uh, it's no, but like I think yeah, it's the, especially so for us, especially Chris I mean, and I, especially Chris and I oh, together. Uh, I know it's super a pain in the ass. And Chris, do you? <laughs> we form Voltron of pain in the ass. Yeah, right? we do. <laughs> and Rob, what I'm hoping, and I think Christian, you just touched on it, is maybe you know, a production does hire somebody that's not really qualified for a position based solely on rate and they get burned so hard that they're just like, okay, wait a minute. Maybe this isn't what we do going forward. Maybe it is time to really reevaluate that we need the most skilled technicians that we can possibly have on set to make sure that because our time is so limited, we need to nail this first time every time. So Mm -hmm. that's my glass half full take on it. I hope I'm right, but we'll see. That's the hope. And there are the good companies out there that do value the craftsmanship of everybody involved and want to be known as the companies that pay the right rates. Right. Sadly, they're few and far between. Hopefully the people that do take up the bargain basement rates learn the value of what it means to hire a professional. And that's all we can do is is hope they learn and change going forward and 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 educating the people coming up after Mm us. Yeah. Uh, But Rob, anything we left untouched that you might want to see or have part of the process to feel safe on set? No, not really. I'm just looking forward to seeing all the people that I used to see on set all the time that I haven't seen in a while. Like, I just can't wait to get back at this because I'm, you know, I mean, you guys have given me something to focus my energy on, like Mm -hmm. just with this podcast. And I, if I didn't have this, I'd probably be going insane. So I thank you for that. (laughs) But I still, you know, staring at my computer screen it just doesn't right. do it for me doesn't like i want to be yeah, yeah i mean that's that's why i didn't choose to do post i like to be on set i like to be around mm-hmm. people i like to be mm-hmm. like in yep. the mix in the action so i can't wait to start doing it again same here same yeah me too yeah likewise thank you guys so much for joining us today it was a lovely chat and yes. definitely a lot of food for thought feel free to reach back out to us if you have any other ideas, because I think this is an evolving conversation. It is hundred percent. And we really Absolutely. appreciate you guys input and, and honesty and, uh, and your time today. Thank you. Right. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks guys. All right. Well, that was our first crew safety roundtable. I think it was, yeah. I think it was really great. I think it was informative. I feel that their concerns are the same concerns that we have. Absolutely. You know, not taking into consideration the sound department's loss of income. Yeah. Or the love talk was interesting. Also, too, the uh, sanitation process by the crew of the equipment makes sense to me because as much as the equipment house can guarantee it i'm just not sure that the crew feel would feel safe enough they would need to do it again yeah makes sense it does make sense yeah because you know Mm -hmm. you set up a set you light a set you got c-stands everywhere yeah you walk off to another set or you're doing something else somebody could just be coming by and touching or hanging on to, you know, when you move through a set, maybe you touch a, you shouldn't, but maybe you touch a C-stand and maybe that person didn't wash their hands. So it's like once it's out of your sight, it makes sense to treat it as possibly dirty. Right. Just like we're trying to treat ourselves, like everyone's wearing masks because you think that you have, you know, the virus. We should treat every surface as if it has not been sanitized. Yeah, 100%. Same with the restroom, same with everything. So. And I think that the big takeaway for me from that call is, and it's great to hear it resonating on other people, is time is a big factor. We need to have more time to do what we do and compassion. 
coming, you know, from from Dave, yeah. compassion and for everybody exactly. on the set. Everybody is a human being, and everybody there is important. And that's more and more clear now. As most likely, we're going to scale down. We're going to know that we have to take care of each other because it's everyone's yeah. health and safety on set. It's much more it important is. now than ever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone has somebody at home, or most everybody does. So not only are you providing safety for those on set, you're providing safety for their families as well. So Absolutely. And hopefully they're thinking the same way. Yeah. All right. Lawrence, this show was edited and co-produced by Rob Bloomkey. Artwork and logo design by Christopher Daniels. And our music was composed by Kyle Puccia. Thanks for listening, everybody. We are back tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, stay connected, and stay active, but do it all while staying at home. Clean your phone. Just look at it. <laughs> it's disgusting right now. It's got your fingerprints all over it. You had it in the bathroom earlier. Clean that thing. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. And if you leave your house, please wear a mask. Yes, and be sure to send us your voice recordings or your emails to producershappyhour at gmail.com. Lawrence, how do people reach you directly? They can get me at lawrencetlewis.com or for voiceover work, voiceoflawrence.com. Christian, what about you? How's that website? Sis uh, sisterchristianproduces.com. That's how it is. <laughs> Good. Uh. <laughs> All right, everybody. See you guys tomorrow. Bye. Bye.